Hello again, everyone, and welcome to today's show. If you're one of the 130 million people that are dealing with SIRS, Lyme disease, autoimmune disease, or other conditions that are impacted by mold on a daily basis, and you need to learn how to eliminate that exposure, then you're in the right place. My name is Brian Carr, and you're listening to Mold Finders Radio. everybody what's up we're back another episode um today i'm gonna talk about two things i think we'll see how all this goes uh the first one was actually a question that i got from uh bernadette abraham on uh on instagram she had a client that she was working with and and by the way she's in dubai um, it's so cool to be able to interact with all of these like health experts, like all over the world. It's pretty amazing. So I've had a, a good number of chats with her. Uh, go check her out. It's Bernadette.Abraham on Instagram. Um, she has a lot of awesome stuff that she shares. And so anyways, I think we started talking like a year ago, maybe. And it's nuts because she's in Dubai and I think it's a 13 hour difference. We're there ahead of us and I'm in California. So they're ahead of California time. So literally like I'm talking to her at like nine o'clock at night, maybe it was 11 hours and it's like 8am her time or something. I'm like talking to someone in the future. Uh, and we had done, we had done calls like that, uh, to talk about stuff, which is cool. So anyways, um, she reaches out to me, uh, I don't know, like a week or so ago, maybe, maybe a couple weeks ago. And she's like, hey, uh, I'm, I'm working with this client and they've done a lot of work on, you know, on their house to, to get rid of mold issues. They're getting better. Um, and, she, and then they, ha- they had a, a flood, basically. So like they've done all this work. They've invested all this time in their health. They've invested time in, in the house and getting it back. And then they had this, uh, this tub in their bathroom flooded. And... Uh, she was asking, she's like, uh, I want to be able to try to like tell my client what they should do um, with this. You know, the, the flood already stopped. So this wasn't immediate. Right. So this, you know, it had happened basically. And they kind of, you know, they stopped the water. Or they had dried, you know, some days have gone by. Right. Like this didn't happen, you know, 30 seconds ago. And then she called me. Right. So so, uh, you know, some time had gone by like a week or so or whatever. And, and she was saying, I want to make sure um that they're doing whatever they need to do to, uh, to make sure that, it, that there's not a lingering problem that's going on, you know? And so basically like what they've done, they kind of just dried everything up. Right. And when, when I say dry, I mean like with towels, right? Like that's kind of how they dried everything. And so, um, and she's like, Brian, can you, can you share with me like things that they should be doing? And so I said, okay. So I kind of asked for like what the layout was of the place what was going on. So this is on a second floor. Um, so there was a, a room below, right. And, and then obviously it was a bathroom, you know, there's walls on either sides of the shower and the tub and like all that stuff. Right. So, uh, what I said is like, well, there's a few things. One, there's a pretty good chance that there's still damp building materials in there. If things weren't professionally dried and you're just kind of like putting fans in there and then wiping stuff up when water gets under floors or in walls or stuff like that, you could put a fan on it all day. It's not going to dry it. Like so, uh, or if it doesn't take a really, really long time. And one thing that we know, or if you didn't know, you'll know now, is that 
mold, certain mold types could grow within 24 hours. Um, bacteria can grow within a couple hours, right? So you're talking mold can take one to two days. Bacteria could just take a few hours. So it's, uh, it's important, you know, that stuff is obviously like dry and not lingering for any extended period of time. Cause that's when you're going to start to get all this microbial growth and all these problems. So they got a place where there had been a water, you know, water event and it had been about a week. And so first thing I said, I was like, you know, they can get, uh, a moisture meter. It doesn't have to be one of these high end, super high end moisture meters. Right. Um, and they can try to map it out themselves on the floor or they could bring some, you know, an inspector. And I don't know what the inspection landscape is like in Dubai from what Bernadette tells me, it kind of sucks. So I don't really know what, what resources they have there. So I was trying to give things that they could do on their own basically and not have to bring someone in. Cause I don't know who they have to bring in. Um, so I, I sent the link of uh, the moisture meter that I include in Molefinder's method is part of the tool list that people could use to get things done, right? So I send her that link. I was like, so they could use this moisture meter. And basically you wanna do moisture, it's called moisture mapping. You take the meter and you're basically uh, doing readings on different areas of the flooring and the walls um, in different areas, right? So the way that these meters work, they're relative. What that means, and, and that's if you're not putting pins in the walls. So there's two different types of moisture meters. This is turning into a moisture meter uh, talk, apparently. So, um, yeah. So we'll talk about that for a second. Okay. So moisture meters, there's kind of two types. There's pin and pinless. All right. Pin means that you have two little pins at the top of the meter, and you and you put them into you kind of stick those pins into the building material. You stick them into drywall. You stick them into wood framing. You stick them into flooring or carpeting or whatever. And with those types of meters, you could actually, well, some of them, depending on which ones you have, you could actually change the um, building type uh, thresholds and baselines on your meter. So you tell it like, I'm going into drywall, I'm going into uh, wood, I'm going to whatever. And then it adjusts its its calibration for that. Um, The pinless is basically this pad that's on the back of the meter and you just set it down on stuff. So you put the back against drywall, you put the back of it down on the floor, you put it against tiles in a shower or whatever, and it gives you what's called a relative reading. So it's a little different. Like the pin one will actually tell you direct percentage of moisture content in there. The uh, other one gives you just kind of like a number. Uh, the one that I use goes from zero to a thousand. And it's, it's all meant to be relative. So what you need to do is you actually need to find a baseline somewhere, typically on the same type of building material. So if I was doing it on, uh, on a floor, I would, I would take it and I would go as far away from where I think the water issue is on that same type of floor, right? So if it's tile, you want to be in the same type of tile. If it's the wood floor, you want to be in the same type of wood floor. Same goes for drywall. Same goes for anything. If it's on drywall, you want to go up higher on the wall. You, you want to go away from where you think the moisture is going to be and you get a baseline reading. Okay. Then the way this meter works is that you do comparisons. And so if I see that the baseline all the way on the other side of this bathroom is whatever the number is, let's say that it's, uh, I don't know, um, 300 or something. Right. Then, uh, and if I get more towards the tub where, the, uh, where the flood was and that 300 is turning to 500, turning to 800, turning to 999, like whatever it is, then, then that's telling me that there's more moisture there, right? So you can literally take this thing and kind of go, um, you know, find a spot and then move over six inches and move over six inches. And you can get a pretty good feel for what's currently wet right now. Right. And that was the first thing I was like, you got to figure out if there's still stuff that's wet. 
you know, now that's not the end all be all. It doesn't mean if that there's an area beyond that, that's not wet, that there's no problem there because it could have dried in that area. The further away you get from the source of the water, the less water that would have gotten there, meaning the faster that that would have dried. Right. So it doesn't mean that there's nothing happening beyond. It's just giving you an idea of kind of extent and how far the water has spread at a minimum. Right. That's what we're trying to figure out to start with. So I told her to tell him to do that on all the flooring, you know, in the bathroom, also all of the walls and baseboards, like the lower walls and the baseboards throughout the entire bathroom, because when water gets toward a wall, it, it can wick up the wall. So imagine this. Imagine you have a paper towel and you have like a little puddle of water on your counter, right? And imagine you just put the edge of the paper towel, just the tip of the towel touching the water. What's going to happen? The water is actually going to soak up the towel. It's going to wick. It's called wicking. It's going gonna, it's gonna to soak into the towel and move upward, up the towel. So that's how water works into walls when there's a water event on the floor. Water will get to the wall, get to the bottom of the wall. Drywall is just like paper, basically, and it'll soak up the drywall, right? Now, you may not see the water damage on the front because the water wasn't actually hitting it from the front, right? So a lot of times that water damage is actually happening behind the wall and you can't even see it. And so using a moisture meter like this in an area where there's been a water event, you could try to get a feel like, are these walls impacted? Were these walls impacted? What was going on? And this is just initial investigation, right? This is just the initial thing. So I told her to have him do that on the flooring in there, um, on all of the walls in there, on all of the cabinetry in there as well. Um, you know, water will go right under cabinets the same way. Do it the same way. Um, and also uh, to go to the rooms. Okay. So that's the first thing. So you focus on the room where it's happening. So let's just stay here. So that's, that's step one. This is all like what the investigation and inspection process kind of looks like, right? This is how I go through a place where there's a flood. First, I do all the moisture mapping. Then I actually look at everything. Well, I kind of look and do the mapping at the same time, but we'll just break it out in steps for you. So then you look at everything and you say, okay, do I see any signs of water damage on the baseboard? So is there staining? Is there bubbling? Is there something that looks off? Is the flooring warped at all? Uh, is it stained at all? It, it, if there's a vanity cabinet in the bathroom, are the toe kick plates, which are like the little wood pieces under the cabinet doors that keep you from kicking your foot completely under the cabinet. Like if you sit next to your cabinet and you try to kick under it, you're going to hit like a little piece of wood down there. It's called a toe kick plate. I, maybe, I don't know why it's called that. I, we're, we're people just like aggressively kicking under cabinets and hurting their shins. And then they're like, wow, we got to make a plate here to block that toe. I don't know. I, it's probably not what was happening. But anyway, um, so cabinetry. So you could look at the toe kick plates. You could look at the sides of the cabinetry. Any of these areas for signs of water damage. Again, like staining, bubbling, cracking, buckling, things like that, right? And so you kind of do a visual throughout the entire bathroom, right? So you've done a visual look. You've done moisture mapping through the whole thing. Now, that alone a lot of inspectors don't even do that full process, right? A lot of people just come in and kind of look at stuff. At, I don't know what they do, but anyways, but that's just kind of step one, right? So step one is that you need to try to assess like the, the immediate area where the flood impacted this though, outside of this, the next step, this is where so many people kind of stop so many professional inspectors, so many, you know, professional drying companies, they stop like in the room where the problem was. They're like, well, the water was in this room. So we're just going to look in this room. Uh, your house doesn't know that your room cuts off at this exact point, right? Your house 
you know, if your house was a living thing, it'd just be like, I don't know this. We're all connected. Like, I don't know that this is a bathroom and this is a bedroom. There's an open doorway here. This could all be the same room as far as I'm concerned. Right. That's that's imagine your house thinking that way. Right. So for us to go in and try to put logic like, well, there's a doorway right here. So this is a different room. Well, the water can't come past this magic doorway, can it? Because it's a different room. Right. That doesn't make any sense. Right. Your water doesn't know. It just moves wherever it goes. Right. So we have to think that way, too. You got to think like the water. The water's going to go wherever it can go. And the next thing you have to do is go look in every room that surrounds the room that's touching the room where the flood happened. Right. So if you had a bathroom where the flood happened, what's on the opposite side of all the walls that are touching that bathroom? That's the next step. And then you go do exactly what I just described in all of those rooms. Right. Again, you're trying to map out the extent of how far you think that it went. Now, like I said, though, moisture isn't the end all be all. Right. But you're just trying to get a feel of where your current starting place is. Okay. so once you kind of figure that out, you got a feel for that. Now you've got to do testing. Now you've got to figure out where the problems are. Right. It has mold grown. Basically, is there issues? And so what you do is that you basically want to test walls. Again, because water will wick up the walls, right? So to understand how far it's moved, you want to do wall testing, wall cavity testing, kind of at different points throughout the extent of how far the water's gone, right? So um, for example, like if your bathroom is kind of split into two sections and one section's further away from the tub, like let's, let's say that's where your cabinets and your sinks and stuff are, but then like there's another section in the back and that's where your shower and your tub is, right? So like... You would, you would kind of break up the sampling that you do uh, kind of in sections of the bathroom. So you don't have to sample like every single wall in every single section of the bathroom. But I would want to sample maybe one or two of the walls that are in close proximity to each problem in each section just to kind of do like a representative coverage of what's going on. Again, trying to understand how far the stuff, <clears throat> excuse me, how far the stuff has moved, right? So... Meaning if you sample in a wall and there's mold in a wall, well, it's a problem, right? And so the thing is, is that you might not see the water damage in the wall because of how I described it wicks up there. So you have to keep kind of sampling beyond. I like to sample one room beyond, right? So we talked about how the bathroom is kind of ground zero. And then there are rooms that are around the bathroom. There might be three or four different rooms around the bathroom, right? So the last piece that I would sample is basically kind of like one wall in each of those rooms. It'd be the shared wall with the bathroom. And I would do a cavity test in all of those, right? Again, you're trying to make sure that water didn't go all the way past. Now, if it's super obvious that water didn't go one direction, then maybe you don't have to do stuff on that side, right? I'm just saying like, let's assume the whole bathroom flooded, right? And so it was like on a, in, in the whole place, right? So then the thing is you need to go one room beyond and get beyond that, all right? And so that's kind of what I walked her through. I was like, here's the deal. Here's how you kind of map out the moisture to get a starting point of what, like, are there things that are still wet right now? You got to get those dry. <clears throat> stuff that's wet has to get dry. That's always the first step. You got to dry this stuff, um, especially with floods, right? Uh, and then you could do these cavity testings. And remember, so you basically like create little sections and you have your hot spot is ground zero in the middle. And then every section that you move away from that hot spot, every section you move away from that ground zero, 
is another like lesser hot, lesser hot, lesser hot, right? And so what we're trying to do is get a representative in, uh, understanding and picture from the sampling perspective so we can look back, we could combine that with the moisture readings, we could combine that with the visuals that we had throughout all the places. We take all three of those things and we say, okay, it seems like, and the reason we do all this, guys, is so we know what remediation has to look like. We know how to map out the blueprint for remediation. This is the problem. This is why I was saying this is, this is like the biggest problem with like the surf pros that come in when you have a flood or some drying company is that they think that it only happened in that room. And so they're not even considering that it could have spread to other rooms, right? When the reality is, is that water has no idea what room it's in in the first place. It's just going where it goes. So what we need to do with the sampling plan, in addition to the inspection and kind of the mapping and all that stuff, is to try to figure out minimum extent of spread so we can build the remediation plan to cover at least the very minimum of what we think is impacted and then extend beyond that in all directions two feet. That's the minimum kind of setup. Now, when they start opening stuff up, they, so, you know, they're probably in this situation, they're probably going to have to remove the floor, um, maybe a couple of the walls. Well, if they take out a wall or they take out the floor and they see they're still staining past where they remove, then they have to remove more, right? You have to, you have to kind of follow the path. But what we're trying to map out is the minimum starting point, right? So when you're doing a flood inspection, or if you have a flood in your place, right? And you're trying to figure out like, okay, what do I need to do? You need to think, okay, the core area where it started, that's, that's uh, you know, hot spot. That's the closest to it. And then you go and kind of look at different sections that might be beyond that. And to the point where I typically end up going one room past the room where the issue happened. And usually it's not getting past that. Like there's some point at least within that area where it stops, usually, unless it's a massive, massive flood. Um, the other thing in this scenario is that they were on the second floor. So in addition to looking one room beyond, don't think linearly, right? Think, um, so don't think rooms like the way that you have an up, you know, you have a bedroom and a bathroom. Think uh, attached walls, adjacent walls. Think like that um, or floors or ceilings, right? So if you have a, a bathroom on the second floor, well, you have a floor that got wet. What's on the immediate opposite side of that floor? It's the ceiling downstairs, right? So you have to make sure you're looking at the ceiling downstairs too. And I would be doing a cavity test in the ceiling downstairs below the kind of hot spot point where the, where the leak originated, right? So I'd be sampling in the ceiling below the bathroom. I'd probably be doing three to four wall cavity samples probably within the bathroom where it happened. And then in all the rooms that are attached, I would do maybe one or two wall cavity samples in each of those kind of adjacent rooms to make sure we map it out, right? So like that, that's how I would be looking at it. And some people are like, Brian, you're talking about collecting like eight or 10 samples. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm talking about doing, right? Because the cost of collecting a sample is far less than the cost of uh, assuming that you have to remediate all that stuff and rip up not only an entire bathroom, but also the adjacent rooms, Right. So option one is you don't sample anything. You just say, I'm going to gut my entire bathroom and I'm going to open up every single wall that's attached to my bathroom. If that's what you want to do, then don't sample anything. It's fine. Just do that. But just know that you might not have to. And that could cost you thousands of dollars you didn't need to do. Right. The other option is that you don't do the sampling and you also don't just open everything up like I described and you just assume it's a small problem in a bathroom. You do a tiny little fix in a bathroom. You leave wet building materials. You leave walls that are impacted by water in your bathroom. There's mold behind those and you leave them in there and you never know, right? 
to two options. Listen, doing stuff like this is not always, it's the cheapest option is not always the best option, right? The cheapest option is just to cross your fingers and hope that everything's okay. That's the cheapest option, right? Then you have some people come in and say, oh, we're just going to do an air sample in the middle of this room. And you know, this, this wall seems fine. So this is it. This is all that we're going to do. That's honestly doing you more harm than good. Cause if that comes back and shows that there's no problem, then you're going to think that there's no problems in there. You're not going to investigate anymore. And now your bathroom is going to have a massive mold problem and you're not going to know about it. You're going to start getting sick. Right? So yes, I'm talking about collecting eight or 10 samples. This is how you know what's happening in your house. By the way, you go through your house, you identify areas of inconsistency of suspect and areas where, you know, there's been maybe historical problems and you have to test them to understand. And it's not just doing an ERMI in a house. ERMIs are very, very beneficial, but for certain things, if in this scenario, if you just did, okay, well, I'm going to do an ERMI in my bathroom. Well, what does that tell you? What if it comes back and it's bad? What does that tell you? It says, all right, well, my bathroom has a problem. Cool. Where is it now? Where is the problem? You're like, well, it's in my bathroom. Okay, but where in the bathroom? You're like, well, I don't know. Like there was a flood, so there's probably a flood. So, okay, cool. How much of this do I have to remove in order to fix the problem? And you would say, well, I don't know. I collected this dust sample from my whole bathroom. And I'd be like, okay, cool. So are we just gutting your whole bathroom? Or are we trying to get more targeted and specific so we actually know what you have to do, right? That's the difference, right? That's why you have to test in this way. And these like these guys that come in and like and sell you on doing like these types of shortcut types of tests where you're not mapping everything out, it does a disservice for you. you got to, just think of it logically, right? Like if I'm in a room, how do I know I need to get rid of that wall? How do I need to know? How do I know if I need to get rid of this wall? How do I know if I need to get rid of this? Is a dust sample going to tell me if I have to get rid of that exact wall? No. What if I tested in that exact wall? Would that then tell me that I have to get rid of that wall? Yeah. Right. So it's common sense, right? It just depends on what your goal is, what the issue is. If you're having a flood, you have to figure out what walls were impacted. You have to figure out what flooring was impacted, what cabinets were impacted, right? This isn't just a random, we're just going to kind of do a screening test in the bathroom and see if it's bad. The assumption is it's bad. We had a flood, right? Now we have, what's, what, what are we trying to achieve? We're trying to understand what we have to do to fix the flood problem. How do you fix a flood problem? You have to make sure that there's no more moisture. You have to dry everything out that's still there. And you have to remediate and remove building materials that have already been impacted by the flood. Bacteria, where either bacteria or mold grew. And then how do you know where those building materials are? You have to source test those areas and kind of map it out. Now, again, do you have to test every single wall in the bathroom? No. You can build this out in a way where you're kind of doing like this section I'm doing maybe two of the five walls that are here. And then when I come to this section, um, I'm going to do maybe one on this side and one on this side, and I'm going to assume everything else in between was hit, right? And then I'm going to go into the room on the other side of this, and I'm going to do the wall that's adjacent to the bathroom just to make sure nothing came through, right? And so you could build it out that way, and that's fine. So you're not sampling every single wall, but you have to sample in a way that's going to map out the level of impact, all right, and, and the extent of where that went. So... Um, I just thought it was a, it was a good thing to share with you guys. I know that these things happen, right? Like we have floods, we have water events, we have stuff that happens, right? And the question is like, what, what do we do? <laughs> How do we know that we fixed it? What's going on? And these are like real life, real people questions, you know? Um, and so this is the way that I would approach the inspection process. Now, if you have a water event, I'm not the first person that comes. You don't call Brian the inspector. You have to call 
like an emergency water restoration service to get everything dried as fast as possible. It's the first thing. You want to dry everything. You don't want the water to continue to spread and you have to stop the water leak, right? So step one, stop the water leak. Step two, get it all dried as fast as you can. Step three, call Brian, the inspector, and come in and figure out the damage that was done at that point, right? And also, by the way, guys, just one little extra on doing it this way. When you have a a sudden and unexpected water event like this that happens from inside of the house, that's typically an insurance covered thing, right? But you need to prove whatever has to be done in 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 your uh in your insurance claim if you do an air sample in the middle of a room do you know how they're going to come out and try to prove it they're going to send some guy out he's going to look at stuff visually he's going to do kind of a half-assed job and he's going to say okay well the water thing happened here so all you really need to do is just remove this little piece of floor right here and then we'll pay for that and that's it right but if you actually have somebody come out and map out the whole thing like I just described and you say, well, listen, insurance adjuster with your magic eyes, I can see everything behind all the building material. Um, we had our own guy come out. We had moisture readings that went out eight feet past where you looked at and we tested this wall, this wall, this wall, this wall, and this wall. And all five of these walls had a problem in it. So the remediation plan means all the flooring comes up, all of these walls and everything in between these walls has to come up and blah, blah, blah. You're now giving, you're now validating what's happening. So now the testing that you're doing is supporting your claim to insurance, right? Because they're going to come out, send some guy out that doesn't look at anything like that and say that they don't have to do anything. And it's kind of going to be on you to prove that more has to get done, right? And the thing is, you have to do it first, right? Like if you, if you take that, whatever they say, and you kind of do stuff, and then later you try to figure it out, odds are they're going to say, this claim is closed. Like we already did this claim. You had your opportunity and you lost and sorry, as far as we were concerned, this had nothing to do with that event because our inspector came out and said there was no other problem there. So I don't know what this is, but it looks like it might be something else and it's not something that we're covering, right? So part of the testing and the reason that we also test, you know, eight, 10 samples is to make sure that we can prove the movement and the flow of the water and the impact that the water has had so then you can go and submit insurance claims and get that done. That's why it's so important to test. At the end of the day, you're asking somebody for money to do something. You're asking somebody who, by the way, does not want to give you any money. Their entire business structure is, let me take monthly payments from you and then never, ever, ever, ever give you any of it back. That's, that's how the business is built, right? So they're clutching onto this money with their greedy little hands and you have to figure out how to, how to rip their claws out of it, right? And the only way that you can do that is as if you were approaching it as if it was a legal issue. And if you were building a, a, a case for court, you would have to have a lot of data and support, right? And so doing the cavity testing, doing the moisture mapping, doing the visuals around, having everything documented, this gives you all of that proof that you need. Then you can get you know, a public adjuster or uh, you know, an insurance expert, or if you feel comfortable going to your insurance company yourself, whatever it may be, you could go and present the case and now you have a leg to stand on that says, I don't really care what your local guy said. I had somebody come out and we found that there was mold in this wall 15 feet away from where they said that they have to remove stuff from, which means we have to remove everything between here and that 15 feet away. And that's the whole process kind of in a nutshell when you're doing a flood inspection. All right. So uh, I don't know. We're all going to have a flood at some point. It's going to happen. Something's going to happen. So uh, bookmark this episode right? Because it's going to happen. I'm promising you, you're going to have a water event at some point in your life. 
whether it's this home or your next home, maybe you've already had one. And you're like, oh man, it sucks. I don't want this to happen. I want to do this the right way. Again, save this episode, bookmark it, do whatever happens on your podcast provider to save an episode. Um, Cause this is literally how I go through a house whenever there's a water event. This is exactly how I do it. So I broke the entire thing down for you in less than 27 minutes. I feel like that's pretty solid. Um, all right, guys. Well, I think, I think that wraps it up for me. Uh, just real quick, now we're talking about this. Um, the follow-up, let's say this thing all happened. You had to have remediation done, right? Well, you know, remediators cut corners. You know, it's just something that they do, right? And so, like, how do you know that they're going to do it the right way? Like, how can you figure out what remediation company to bring in first? How can you check their work? Like, wouldn't it be great? Right. Because the last thing you want to do is spend like 10 grand on a remediation and then they screw the whole thing up and it didn't work. Right. So like it'd be nice to be able to kind of be on top of that. Right. So I was thinking through that because this is just such a normal thing that happens for so many people that I work with. And so over the last couple of weeks, we were working, we put together this guide that's called the 10 most common remediation mistakes. And it's literally the 10 things that I see when I go into post remediation inspections, the 10 most common things that I see where the remediators just screwed up and it causes the remediation to fail. And if they did these 10 things the right way the first time, odds are the remediation would have passed the first time around, right? And so what I want to do is I wanted to put that together in kind of like an easy to digest guide for you guys. So either when you're interviewing potential remediation companies, you can ask the questions that are included in these 10 steps that they typically kind of mess up on that I've seen. Or while the remediation is happening, you could actually check on their work and make sure that these things are getting done, right? Wouldn't that be cool? Yeah, that'd be awesome, right? To be able to, to try to not lose that money on remediation that gets ruined. How many of us had remediation stories that are just horror stories, right? Like so many people. So this is a tool that, and a guide that I put together. It's completely free. Um, I just want to try to give you some resources to help you on this mold journey you're on. Uh, if you're interested in grabbing it, you could go to uh, remediationmistakes.com. It's remediationmistakes.com. All you got to do is put in your name, your email, and click the button that says send me the guide. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to send you the guide. It's going to be that easy. Um, so check it out. You know, this is, again, a resource for you guys, literally free for you. I just want you guys to have it in case these things come up so you can have some tools at your disposal to sift through the lame remediators that suck and to check their work and make sure that you're getting the value out of your guys' money. All right, does that sound fair? Cool, I hope so. So anyways, it's remediationmistakes.com. Go check it out. Go do it right now. You're probably listening on your phone. You could just open up your thing and go to it and go get it. And uh, have a nice little weekend read. Today is Friday. So it's not that long, guys. It's not going to take you a whole weekend. <laughs> but there are some other cool tidbits in it. It's not just the 10 mistakes. We, we also added in some other things for you as well. So it's a nice little, uh, nice little design that we put together for you. Hope you guys find it valuable. Hope you found this podcast valuable. If you did, please take a second and just give me a rating and a comment on the podcast if you could. Um, it's how it kind of ranks up the podcast so other people can see this, right? So like one thing I say all the time, I've said it in the webinar I've done a few times, like it is on us to share information with people so we could start taking our lives back from this mold thing, right? And the only way that we do that is that we share resources, we share information sources, we share things with everybody, let them know where we're getting it. This is where the good information is. This is where it is, right? So part of a way to do that is by, is by getting a couple 
couple more reviews, a couple more likes, things like that on a podcast, it increases its visibility within the platform, right? Because in the platform thinks that there's good content that's being put out and more people should see it, you know? So while it may sound selfish and a little bit, I would love to see a ranking go up on a podcast. The reality is we're all in this together. We're all mold finders and we need to be supporting each other. This is why I'm putting out free content for you guys all the time is to be able to support you guys. Um, and so if you could take a minute to support me too, I'd really appreciate it. All right, guys, uh, that's it. Have a great weekend. We'll talk to you later. So that's it for today's show, everyone. Thanks so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed the show, please take a moment and subscribe and give a rating wherever you get your podcasts. It'll help spread the word to those who really need it the most. 